Hi, I'm Rebecca, <laughs> and I'll be reading from Genesis 24, 1 through 4, and 10 through 15. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. Welcome everybody. Hey, it's great to see you. We're in uh, part two of a series called Just Dance. It's all about relationships. If you didn't catch the big yellow signs on the way in, we are talking about sex today. So if you're uncomfortable talking about sex or somebody around you uncomfortable, know now it might be a good time to slip out. We're not going to get incredibly graphic, but uh, I just wanted to make sure that you saw those signs. So relationships. Last week, we talked about the Harvard study. The Harvard study said that the relationships are the best investment you can make in your life, that the people who are most fulfilled, when they get to their end of their life, they don't look back at their career, they don't look back at their money, they don't look back at anything, they look back at one thing, they look back at relationships. That's relationships in general. We're going to start moving to something more specific about relationships, and that is marriage. We're talking about marriage, because the vast majority of people want to get married. A report I read not too long ago said the vast majority of Americans, by far, like is 90% or more want to get married. And this said it this way, even millennials. So I don't know what, I don't know what that means, but uh, this should be appropriate because our largest age category grouping here is millennials here at Grace. And so marriage, marriage is like the crown jewel, the piece de resistance, right? It's the crown jewel of relationships. It's the greatest, it's the hardest. It's the greatest, it's the hardest. Time Magazine back uh, June 2016 uh, did something uh, a lot about me. They talked a lot. It was a great study. A lot of data was in there talking to marriage experts and stuff. And they talked to people, a large group of people who had been married for many, many years. Say, what's the best thing about your life? What is the best? So it was your career. Was it an accomplishment? Was it money? Was it a vacation? What was it? 100%, not 50%, not 80%, not 95%. 100% of them said marriage is the best thing about my life. My marriage has been the best thing that I've done. Maybe that's why a bunch of us want to get married. We want, I mean, it's just in there for some reason. We want to get married. The vast majority of us here in this room. And I know there's all kinds of, we've been through stuff. We've been hurt. Maybe we've been married, we've been divorced, or maybe our marriage is in shambles. Now, I don't know what it is, but still something's in there that we want to get married. So today, we want to spend some time talking about preparation. How do we prepare ourselves for this, what is called the greatest investment we could ever make in our lives. Okay, to do that, we're going to do everything we can to encourage it. So one of the things we're doing, we're doing apps on us. We have partnered with a bunch of area restaurants. 
You bring a friend, the app is on us. You bring the same friend every week of this series, the app is on us constantly. We're going to do everything we can to encourage you. We want you to go out. We want you to eat an app on us and talk about the Grace Investment in your life. So last week over at West Falls Church, they set a record. They had the most people go to Grace in Five ever uh, before because they wanted to get apps. And I think we set a record here as well. So we just hope that you'll bring your friends. We want to do everything because this is the greatest thing you could ever do, right? According to the data. And we want you to bring your friends and have. Now, last week, uh, we talked about hashtag bad dates. Anybody remember hashtag bad dates, Jimmy Fallon show? And so I read a couple of those to get the juices flowing. Then I asked you to send us your stories. So we had a lot of stories. Every single person who sent us a story, the app is on us. Just go to Grayson five, pick it up. We know who you are. We know we have your phone number. We know who you are. Go to Grayson five, every single person, right? But the person who won, we know who you are. Two apps. Let's go to Grayson five. Now we can't read all of them, but let me give you a sample. Here's honorable mention. Uh, worst date. Number one, you ready? <clears throat> My date was visiting D.C. It was set up by a mutual friend. They were very, very excited about the National Mall. So we go to the mall. We walked around for a while. And eventually they asked me, this is a nice long walk, but when do we get to the mall? (laughs) We had a few moments of going back and forth. We're here. We're here. We've been here. Where? What? I don't see anything. What do you mean? We finally figured it out. All right. That was honorable mention. Here's the winner. You ready for the winner? I was forewarned, but I made some incomplete conclusions. A blind date 25 years ago. I was told she was from a wealthy family. Check. Good idea. Attractive and a zookeeper. Intriguing combination and all true. For me, there appeared an admirable worthiness to this care for animals. A pleasant dinner was followed by an invitation to her place, which I was not reluctant to accept. Then the impatience of youth met reality. First, there were five dogs that had to be walked around the block twice. (laughs) Then to be fed. Then three cats, cages next, water cleaned, rabbits, gerbils, hamsters. (laughs) The small birds were allowed to fly around without incarceration. And apparently free from the interest of the cats. But their freedom came at a cost to the furniture and carpet, and these had to be purged. As we were commencing the second hour of animal welfare, I confessed. I became a touch testy. But the amphibians weren't going to change their own water, were they? Although a wonderful person, and therefore more dates followed, care for the animal inventory, which I discovered was 37, and a one-bedroom apartment took its toll. Hashtag bad date. You can top that. You can still still email us or text us. We still still love you. We still want to hear for you. All right, preparation. What are you doing to prepare for the greatest investment in your life? All right, so all the data is in. It's a great time to be alive, everybody. It's a really, really great time to be alive because we have so much data, so much data at our fingertips that just gives us guidance in our search. All right, so we know the vast majority of us want to be married. Okay, so Data gives us guidance and how to go about that. What's the smart way? What's not the smart way? What's the foolish way to go about that? So we have a lot of data that helps us with that. And so this is a great time to be alive and to assess all this data. And then, of course, then we have the Bible, which helps us so much with this. All right, we have a great desire to be married, even men. Even men. I know often we talk about women. Oh, she wants to get married. She's putting... 
You know what percentage of men want to find love this year? What percentage of men want to find love? Now, maybe they have a bad way of going about it, but let's take that off the table, right? All right. What percentage of men want to find love this year? The number is, guess. Six percent. Very pessimistic up over here. Very pessimistic. That number is 68%. 68% single American males want to find love this year. All right? What does that say? What does that say? Often we talk about, okay, well, the women, they really want to get married or it benefits. Do you realize the data shows us this? Here's what the data shows us, that men benefit more from getting married than women do. The benefits are greater on the male side than is on the female side. So we talk, oh, she wants to get married. He's better. You do better better professionally in your career. You do better financially. You do better personally. You do better emotionally. And you do far better. Ready, men? Hello. Wake up a man if he's sitting next to you. You do far better sexually if you are married. There's the data. That's not John. That's data. The data over and over and over again. So why would that happen, everybody? You know why that happens? You know why that happens? Because according to the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, God, our designer, put a design deficiency in men. Design deficiency, right? You don't have it where after Eve is created, it's like God says, oh, this isn't good. You know, no, 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 no. Adam, God creates with the design deficiency. He has, Adam has God. I got God. What else do I need? I got food. I got water. I got, I got everything. I got safety. What else would I possibly need? God says, even though you have me in your life, and even though you have everything else, you are still deficient, Adam. You don't have enough. It's, this is not enough. You need Eve. Can you say the words not enough with me? Not enough. Ray, one, two, three, not enough. All right. How about, because that was really bad. So how about... <laughs> Every woman who believes this, could you say not enough? Everyone would read one, two, three. Not enough, not enough. Not enough. Not, you got to have, you got to have Eve. I'm sorry. You have to wrestle with this text because what it says is there's a design deficiency implemented in every man that he needs Eve. Now, the interesting thing is Adam has no clue he has this design deficiency. That's a whole nother message right there. Very interesting. <laughs> Preparation is critically important, all right? This is the greatest investment. Do you think you're just going to walk into it? Well, it just all work out. Do you walk into a marathon that way? Like you want to run a marathon. You just show up. Hey, here I am. Hey, man, you're on the starting line. You've been training? No. Like you, you walk around the block? No, I hate walking. <laughs> here I am. It's going to be all good. I feel good about it. I feel really good. <laughs> it's not going to work. It takes preparation. And this is the greatest investment. Critical. It's so critical that we end up. Are, are you preparing yourself? Are you preparing yourself for what we are told is so great? So here's the thing. The Time Magazine article says this. Remember, 100%, the best thing in my life is my marriage. And 100% also said, very hard work. Grace investment, very hard work. Are you preparing yourself? You know, I I spend a lot of time with couples getting ready for, for weddings. Hundreds of hours planning that's it. hundreds of hours playing that seminar. And do you know what? As tough as it is, I'm looking at them and they're tired. Oh my gosh, all these decisions has taken so much. I can't believe it's taken this much time to get married. You know, I have to look at them and say, you know what? This is a piece of cake compared to the marriage. You know what I'm saying? Does anybody, anybody married here today might say, Amen, brother. That is right. So what we want to what we want to do this morning is we want to juxtapose. We started last week. We talked about Samson. Right? He's in a, like four or five chapters in Judges, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, right? That's all his whole story. It's an amazing story. With what was just read this morning by Rebecca, 
about Isaac and Rebekah from Genesis 24. We only read you a piece. We encourage you to read the whole thing. There's some wonderful things there. So we see, if you want to juxtapose this, like Samson follows all the worst rules. He does all the bad things, right? And over here, Isaac and Rebekah are following all what the data shows us. What the data shows us today is that they follow tried and true rules. So what do you see in the story of Isaac and Rebekah? Well, there's a lot of prayer going on, right? They're doing a lot of prayer. Actually, they're even doing fasting. So, so here you have Abraham's servant. He's like, I won't, he says in the story, I'm not eat. You read it later in the story. I won't eat. He, so he's fasting. He's praying. He's fa- you ever thought about doing that? So there's a spiritual side, but there's more than the spiritual side. Some people say, you know, well, I'm just going to sit at home and pray. That's not what we see happen here. We see the spiritual side. We see that, but we also see the practical side coming together. He goes, he takes a long journey. You know what half of Washingtonian singles say? Half of Washingtonian singles say, yeah, I want a relationship, but I don't have time. I don't have time. This guy goes on a really long journey. You're going to do something. It's the greatest investment you ever made in your life, right? You're, you're getting ready to run a marathon, and marriage is harder than a marathon. You're getting ready to run a marathon. Shouldn't you give some time to preparing for that marathon, or it's going to be an absolute disaster, and you've got to give time. And so we see he gives time to go on this long journey through the desert, and then he shows up at a well. Do you think that's random that he's showing up at the well? He shows up at the right place. You know who hangs out at all the wells? Because in that culture, all the girls, all the young women, it was their responsibility to go to the well and get the water. He knew what he was doing. He's no dummy. He's going to the right place. What's the right place to go to? What often is said, where are you going to find your spouse? Where are you going to find them? You find them at a bar. There's a bar. Go out to the bar. So, so what you have is, is 9% of women find their spouse at a bar. 9%. 2% of men find their spouse at a bar. So let's just go ahead and that's low hang. I mean, that's not, that's, the numbers aren't in your favor. So let's do something different. Let's go to data and figure out where the winners are. Here's the winners. Friends, family, online, and at church. Say it again, just so you're listening. If you want to put all the odds in your favor, statistically speaking, friends, family. How many percentage of people met their spouse through friend and family? Just take a guess. Go ahead. Live on the wild side. 30, 63%. 63% of people meet their spouse through friends and family. 63%. Online and church. So preparation. Andy Stanley has a great quote. Here's what it says. Ready? Are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? Have you thought about that? Having in mind this type of person I want, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but are you that person? He tells a story in, in, in his book. Uh, it's called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Day. He tells a story in the book. He knows somebody. And, um, uh, you know, they met another person at a party. And it was, at, I'm like, this, this was it, man. The person had values. They were connected spiritually, right? They had character. They had a good job. They were great looking. Everything, right? They're, everything. It was the whole package. And they, were, and they kept running into them. They're like, it was so, and they couldn't stop thinking about this person. So finally, this person goes and visits the parent. And they're telling their parent all about the lifestyle this person and who they are. And finally, the parent stops and says, look, I don't want to hurt your feelings. They're not looking for you. You guys are living two different lives. You want this, but you're not living this. 
Are you preparing yourself? Are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? So we got to prepare ourselves for the greatest investment. If not, we're going to have a colossal disaster. So quick review, advice is gold. We did the ABCs last week, and the A was advice is gold. Samson didn't have anybody around him. Samson was a loner. Samson wouldn't listen to anybody. Nobody whatsoever. 63% of the people meet so you through family and friends. So you have to develop a strong circle of friends. Are you doing that? And if you have friends, the Bible says you should show yourself friendly, right? A person with friends is somebody who's being a good friend. Do you have the characteristics of a good friend? Are you building that in your life? Are you doing that? Samson's totally unprepared. And the story of Isaac and Rebecca, there's all kinds of people involved. You might say, hey, John, that's an arranged marriage. That's an arranged marriage. That's stupid. Right? Seems stupid. Do you realize the data? You know what the data shows us? That arranged marriages are as much as fulfilling, if not more, than doing marriage our way here in the West. What does that tell us? That's another sermon. Let's keep moving. Boundaries are vital. This is where we left off last week. So here's what it says in Psalm 119. Your laws are my greatest joy. Your laws. God gives us rules, commands, laws. Why? To, to, just to take away all our fun and our excitement? But no, they're there to help us, not to harm us. We grow up with these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things. You see if you can. I know you guys are very smart. Let's see if you can finish the last word in all of these sayings, all right? Don't play with Yes. Look both ways before you cross the? Yes. Eat your? Brush your? Yes. Those are good things, aren't they? You don't want somebody who doesn't brush their teeth for five years talking to you, right? These are good things. These are, these are good. These are helpful, helpful things in our lives. We tend to not like boundaries. We like our freedom. And what we see in the life of Samson, in contrast to Isaac and Rebecca, is Samson ignores all the boundaries, and yet they're playing into all the boundaries. They're preparing themselves preparation for this great thing. Samson doesn't prepare anything at all. There's a lot of things we can talk about where he crosses boundaries. Let's just focus on two, just so we can stay focused. Money, sex, money, and sex. Let's talk about money and sex. Money first. Number one relationship argument is money. Exactly. Over and over again, the data shows us clear. Now, Samson, he was totally unprepared. He enters into an agreement. Really, it was a bet. He ends in a bet in Judges chapter 14. It involves money. He, does, he hasn't prepared himself. He has no funds. He makes a foolish decision financially. He loses the bet. He doesn't have money. So what does he do? What does he do? He goes out and steals to pay for it. Actually, goes and kills and steals, right, to pay for it. He was totally, financially, he was a disaster and completely unprepared. Number one relationship argument is money. Have you prepared yourself for it? What's your relationship like with money? Are you in debt? You know what a lot of marriage counselors say? This isn't John. Here's what a lot of marriage counselors say. Do not get married till you are out of debt. Debt. Now, that'll motivate you to get out of debt, right? Don't get married till you're out of debt because you bring that in and it causes a huge problem. What's your relationship? Now, we live, we live in an area of the world, right? So like the five highest paid counties, I think, in America are right here in the D.C. metro area. So our standard of living, right, it's really, really high. Okay, well, maybe you make a ton of money. You're like, I don't have any debt. I'm in good shape. What's your relationship like with money? Do you use money to kind of buy your way to happiness? Because that doesn't work. What is your relationship? Like, oh, well, you know, I just something, well, I'm not feeling good, so I'll spend a bunch of money and get myself, or I'll spend a bunch of money on him or her, and that doesn't work. 
I mean, it's nice for a short time, but it doesn't work. What is your relationship like with money and debt? What are your habits like? The Bible says we should live within our means, number one, live within our means. We should stay out of debt and on budget, number two. Number three, we should save. We should save. Samson's not doing any of this stuff, and we should give a portion back to God. We do something here called Financial Peace University. We're not running one right now, but you'll see about it in the future. Great. I wish I would have taken it 20-some years ago in my life. Now, sex. You ready for sex? That didn't come out the right way. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's clear the deck right up front. Uh, I have no, I have zero interest in your sex life. Uh, I know a lot of times when we talk about church and we get into the subject of sex, blah, 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 it's self-righteous, it's judgmental, it's condemning, it's prudish, it's all this stuff. Okay. All right. Gotcha. I, I agree. A lot of times it comes across the complete wrong way. Okay. As hard as this is for you emotionally, can you just table all that, all the baggage of stuff that maybe you've heard from some person, quoting the Bible, whatever? All I want to talk about is what's smart. Can we do that? Can we just take data and talk about what's smart? And what we'll find is it totally jives with the Bible. Can we just talk about, for a few moments, about what is smart in our sex life? The data shows us this. Sex is powerful, and it needs boundaries. The data shows us sex is powerful, and it needs boundaries, right? Listen, uh, you, sex, it, it, it's not a need, it's a want, okay? Not, you're not going to die, right? You need food, and you need water, you need safety. You're not going to die if you don't. Let's just be clear about which one it is. Like, you don't, when's the last time you saw somebody lying dead in the street somewhere? It's like, what? what's wrong with them? The poor boy didn't have enough sex. I mean, it's just, <laughs> he's dead. So if we can just clarify, all right, <clears throat> he, Jesus makes some statements about sex, Matthew 19. At the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be uni united, very important word, come back to in a second, to his wife, and the two are going to become one flesh. It's like you got two different things and they're going to become something brand new. Now, what's being spoken about here, everybody, just so you know, and this is wonderful, these verses are about sexual intercourse specifically, okay? They'll no longer be two, but they will be one. You need to know this right up front. God's all for sex. You ever read the book of Song of Solomon in the Bible? Oh my gosh. There are sections in there I would not read out loud. They're just a little bit too racy. God is a thousand percent. He invented it. He's all for sex. I mean, you know, fallen down, exhausted from sex. He's all about that. Song of Solomon. Read it yourself. Read it yourself. Okay? So that. But what is said here, the two will be united together. That's a very specific word. Here's what it's saying. And here's what we need to know. Here's the big data point to wrap between the Bible and what the data is showing. The word united means to be glued together. Jesus is saying, the Bible is saying that when you have sex with somebody, you're glued together. And what happens is if you glue together with one person like, ah, he's a jerk. Okay. And you go to, you, you glue again and you glue again. What happens is the glue starts having a problem. Like putting tape on a box. If you tape it and tape it and tape it on and off, on and off, on and off. And the data shows us the same thing. The Time Magazine article that was done recently says this. Think about this. If you have somebody making $15,000 a year, that's poverty level, everybody. Nobody's happy at fifteen grand a year. If that's your household income of $15,000 a year, 
times are tough, right? Could you agree with me on that? Times, that's poverty level, 15 grand a year. $15,000 and somebody making $75,000. Why pick $75,000? Because once you make seventy-five grand a year, you can't get any happier. You might think you might be happier making more money, but data shows us you're not. Are you tracking with me? Somebody wins the lottery, oh, you get excited, and then actually you end up being more miserable. So they chose these two data points for a reason. 15 grand a year, poverty, and then you're about a maxed out on happiness as you possibly can be on money. And here's what they said. Ready for sex? I should stop saying that, but here we go. <laughs> New way to say that. Okay. For married couples, for married couples who are having sex once a week, the joy about life, their view on life, is greater than the distance of somebody making 15 to 75. So in other words, they feel more, they're like, is your sex, no, not, my, my, everything about life is better. Everything about our marriage is better when the people who are making once a week as compared to people who are having sex once a month. That something so powerful happens through this glue that Jesus is talking about that it causes somebody to look at the world completely different. Is that powerful or what? 15,000 to 75,000 and it's greater on a satisfaction level. Like your whole life is turned around by that. That's how powerful, how powerful is it. Now we want to say it's all just physical. Do whatever, man, it's just physical. Somebody's told you that or you've seen it somewhere. Look, you know... We don't, our movies and our books and stuff, we don't track like normal people's lives, right? right? What we track is the marriage that's just like busting up or people who are just running around. Well, they had sex with 10 people and they seem to be happy. That's a movie. That's a movie. The data doesn't support those things. And so when you say, oh, whomever, whenever, wherever you want to go, it's, it's going to be okay. You're going to be, you're going to be happy. The data doesn't support that that's exactly what happens. What's your number one sex organ? Our brains. Our brains. Shouldn't that tell us something right away? Whatever we experience in that, it's a powerful experience. It's caught up there in our brains. University of Virginia, all right? This isn't the Bible. This isn't John. This is University of Virginia. They did a great study just a short time ago. You want experience everywhere in your life. You want to get a good job, right? We're all type A Washingtonians, man. We want to be very successful. We want to be very successful at work, don't we? This is what we want. And so the more experience you get, and this is what UVA said, the more experience you get, the better you're going to do. Get internships, get jobs, do whatever. All these things, you want that. They said there's this one area they found that actually it hurts you. It undermines your life, and it undermines your future, and that is sexual experience. Like the more sexual experience you have with all kinds of people, that actually undermines your future. Here's the thing, what it says. Your past shows up in your future. Okay, I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being mean. I'm just, I just want to tell you what the facts are from the data. If you have a problem that the Bible says save sex for marriage, got it. Cool. Wonderful. Great. I have no interest in your sex life. But if you want to talk about how you prepare for the greatest investment that will make, the data says this. That sex is powerful. And the more sex you have with all kinds of other people, it actually undermines your ability to be intimate when you enter into a marriage relationship. That's what it is showing. Now, we need to be clear. The data also shows this. Ready, men? 
I know you're probably totally asleep on this sex thing, so wake up here. Here's the thing. The data shows us this. Uh, the more sex you have with multiple girls, the more exciting your life will be. Now, you wouldn't expect that coming out of somebody standing up here doing this, what I'm doing, would you, right? But the data is clear. The more sex you have with multiple girls, the more exciting your life will be. There is a big difference between excitement and fulfillment. I could leave here today and jump off a cliff, and my life is going to be extraordinarily exciting. <laughs> my heart's going to be racing. It's going to be fantastic. But then I'm going to hit bottom somewhere. I mean, there's going to be an end in sight. And you know what's interesting about Samson? Every chapter, he's got a different girl. I mean, Samson is a rock star, right? He is, the, he is the star quarterback, right? He is the star player. He is the stud athlete. Everybody wants to be Samson. In every chapter, he's with a different girl. This is a very exciting life. He also commits suicide at the end and is miserable and imprisoned. There's a difference between excitement and fulfillment. And the data shows us that monogamy within your marriage is what helps to build that great relationship that we're all really looking for. Very, very clear on that. All right. I think we'll close the sex down with that. Is that good? All right, good. I'm glad that you feel the same way. Here's the C that we left off with last week. Character is king. Character is king. Look for character. Proverbs chapter 20. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person. In other words, a person of character. Who can find, who can find a person of character? In other words... What this is saying is you should be on a great search for character. Like, like when, when you're thinking about your own, preparing yourself, you should be preparing your character. And when you're thinking about what should I be looking for, the type person, right? This whole idea of the, the, the soulmate, forget that. That's Greek mythology. That's not a biblical thing. You're looking for a type of person. The type of person you are looking for is a person of character. That's it. Men, according to all the studies, what do we look for? We look for looks over character. Women, not off the hook. According to all the studies, you look for power and influence over character. Now, the problem with that is that's not why people come in for marriage counseling. They don't come in for marriage counseling because the way somebody looks or because somebody's powerful. They come in because of why? Character issues. It's all about character. Character is king. Now, I told you we we're going to talk about the SEALs, and we didn't get to talk about the Navy SEALs last week, so let's talk about the SEALs now. Uh, there's a great book about the Navy SEALs called Extreme Ownership, right? These guys under very intense, remember marriage is very intense, under very intense situations are very successful. They are winning teams. And the first story they tell in this book about how they win is this situation they were in over in Iraq. There's a big battle going on, and things got all messed up, and they ended up having like a friendly fire incident that was almost catastrophic, what they call a blue on blue, a cardinal sin. You never do that as a Navy SEAL. Never do that. It happened back in Vietnam to a SEAL team back in Vietnam. Man, you never do it. So they had this blue on blue incident. Everybody got it. They shut the SEAL team down. They called all the high ups come in. We had this huge meeting, put everybody in this room, tremendous pressure. And the guy who was the commander of that team who led that goes going over all the data and he's looking for where did we make this mistake? Where did this catastrophic problem that broke our team down. How did it happen? And you know what he realized? He got his data. He figured out the answer. And he walks into the room. The room's filled with people. He's getting ready to lose his job. They're getting ready to fire him. It's going to be a huge embarrassment. And he stands up in front of everybody. He shows them all the data, what happened. Then he says, okay, now who's to blame here? Whose fault is this? Seal in the back where he says, you know, it's my fault. I didn't do X, Y, and Z. I'm sorry. I blew it. I take complete ownership. I blew it. It's my fault. The mission went bad. And the commander up front says, nope, 
It's not your fault. Whose fault is it? Next seal, same thing. Next one. It was like five, six seals. Finally, the commander shuts them down. He says, no, it's none of your fault. You know whose fault it is? It is my fault. If you are in a relationship with somebody who can't say I'm sorry and who always has excuses like Samson, Samson was never wrong, never wrong, always had an excuse. It was always this. It was always that. If you are in a, in a relationship with somebody who's never wrong and always has an excuse and can't just own it, can't say, you know what, I own it, 100%, it's me, it hurts, it's hard to do it. If you're in that kind of relationship, run for the hills. If you're that kind of person and you think you're going to have the fulfilling relationship that is in your heart to have because, and you're not going to own things, man, it's, it's not going to work. You have to own it. I experienced this firsthand, not in my marriage, but in a situation I was leading, leading the team not too long ago, and things didn't go well with this team. And it was a number of people on the team that was clearly, clearly, they just, you know, you know and it was so easy for me to say, you, 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 it was so easy. But finally, I had to say, you know what? I should have done better. And I tell you what, man, it hurt. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Or does just taking ownership come really easy to you? Can you take ownership? Can you own what's going on in your relationship, what's going on in your marriage? Because if you can't do that, you won't win. You have to be able to take ownership of what his character is king. James says, therefore confess your sins, confess your faults. Then what's going to happen? To each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. You want to heal your marriage? Take ownership. If you're a person of character, here's what you do. If you're a person of character, you will search to find your portion of the problem in it. If your person doesn't have character, you will search as hard as you can to find your partner's problem. Am I making sense? But if you're a person of character, you will search as hard as you can to figure out where did you go wrong. That's what people of character do. That's the kind of person you want to be in a relationship with, and that's the kind of person you want to be because character is king. Nobody knocks on my door and says, can we do marriage counseling? Because I got a problem because my husband makes so much money, so powerful, has so much money. Nobody knocks on my door. I don't get knocks on hey, hey, can we talk about my wife's looks? No, no, I don't get this question. The only marriage problems I deal with are all character issues 100% of the time. You're looking for character. You want to develop character in you. Now, Samson had two major problems, ego and anger. Ego and anger, huge ego. And when you don't have character, you'll just let your ego go crazy, go absolutely crazy. Doesn't take ownership for anything he does. As I said, he can't say he's sorry, none of that. He's just, his ego just runs wild. He has this great victory. He's like, I did this, I did this, I did this. He can't stop talking about I. It's always I. Now, sometimes people will talk about themselves in a positive way or a negative way, right? But whether it's positive or negative, the focus is always on who? Sometimes they go, oh, the person is, you know, they're really, they're really, they're really down, you know. They're so humble because they're like so. But really the focus is always on them. Think about that. We need to move on. His problem was ego. His problem was anger. You need to take a look at how people function when they're under pressure. Do you notice that? Do you notice how people function when they're under pressure? Because unless you see how somebody functions under pressure, eventually that's going to come out on you. Be very careful. And how do you function under pressure? So the SEALs have this thing that when they're under intense pressure, they say, relax, look around, make a call, right? Can you do that? Something we do in our hiring process here at Grace, we used to always in the years past, way, way back, we said, you know what, let's just make things as perfect as possible for the candidate. And then we realized that's stupid because things aren't perfect. 
So intentionally now we allow things. Like we're not mean or conniving. Like we don't like set bombs somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Some problem. But we want things to go bad because how is the person you're thinking about being in a lifelong relationship, how do they treat their mother or how they treat their father, how they treat their family, how they treat their friends, how they treat the waiter or the waitress, how do they treat other people? Have you seen that? Because eventually that's coming your way, right? Samson had a massive problem when it came to his ego and his anger. Finally, let's close with Isaac and Rebecca. What are you looking for? I said earlier that uh, arranged marriages, this is crazy, right? Arranged marriages are just fulfilling as we do it in the West, if not more so. The data shows that to be true. And I want to talk about something next week, just so you know. I want to talk about the, the most basic problem that every single marriage in the world faces. And if you can solve this one basic problem, you will solve the vast majority of your marriage relationship issues. That's next week. We're going to go after that in a big way. All right. So here is what the servant is looking for when he's looking for Rebecca. And I just offer this to you that you should look for the same thing. Kindness. So when he gets to this well, I want to see that, I want to see that this person, you need kindness. John Gottman, who is one of the country's experts in marriage. When the kindness goes and the contempt comes in, you're done. You're done. What's the tone like? What's the attitude like? How do you treat? Are you kind? And so he's like, okay, he's praying about this. Comes out and she gives him a drink of water. She shows kindness. Oh, and now she's going to water all the camels. That took a lot of energy. Let me say something else. You need energy. If you're with somebody and they never have energy, you know what, everybody, you know what marriage takes? Tremendous energy. Can you say energy with me just in case you're asleep? Energy. And if you are with somebody that they have no energy all the time, they're not going to have energy for their marriage relationship with you and this will be a problem she has tremendous energy she's very industrious she's very kind she goes out of her way she has a servant's heart she has a servant's heart let me go back to kindness for a second I forgot to say one thing okay you're out with somebody and they're on their phone the whole time you're on a date with them this is going to be a problem it's not very polite it's not a very polite thing to do. Matter of fact, 75% of the people say it's a major turnoff if you got somebody. They say the best thing to do is put the phone out of the way. If you want to connect with somebody and they're always distracted and while you're dating they're always distracted, you just need to know it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I'll throw one out thing. Just, this is just a total side thought for guys. 86% of women say a crack in the glass on your cell phone is a point against you men. Men, go get your cell phone thing, right? If you, 86% of women, it's a point against you. Please get it fixed so you can, so you can get fixed. Servant's heart. She has a major servant's heart. And I'm going to get into this next week. If you don't have a heart to serve everybody, you know what marriage is all about? It's about serving somebody else. Oh my gosh. If you're around this person and every time an opportunity to serve comes up, all of a sudden they go missing. Like what happened? What happened to Sam? I don't know. Where did Sam go? He doesn't want to serve. He doesn't want to serve. You have to have a servant's heart. There was a guy many years ago back in the church I was in. I remember one day I was standing right there. I couldn't believe he did this, right? Somebody came and says, you know what? It was a bunch of friends. He said, we're moving. We're moving tomorrow. Could you come help us? Could you come help us, you know, move? And he was free. And he said, well, uh, I need to pray about that. 
And you need to pray about that. His problem was he wasn't a servant. Many people meet each other on our serving teams at churches across America. You know why? They have hearts to serve. It works out. Do you have a heart to serve? Are you prepared your heart to serve? Are you looking for somebody who has a heart to serve? All right. I am totally done now, and I'm going to end with one final story. Thanks for sitting through this. Very kind of you. You're very kind. I don't know if you're servants, but you're kind. I just want to say this. Um, relationships have been the core of this church since we began. It's really important. It's been a very important thing to me, actually. And I, many of you know this if you've been coming for a while. I keep a prayer journal, and I need you to know I, I, I actually play, pray every single week, multiple times a week. Um, for divine matches. I mean, we see in the Scripture where God brings Adam and Eve together, and I just pray that God would uh, bring people together. I also pray for marriages. It's, it's just something that's, you know, really important to me. I, for years, I had a couch in my office. It was this green couch. And I talked to so many people, singles and marrieds and people going through tough times and stuff, just person after person after person. I talked about this a few years ago. I had a situation. It all happened with like in a year and a half period. So I'm having years ago, year and a half period of time where three different people who were all single came and, and talked to me and they sat on that couch and um, they were there to talk about something completely different. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, and this might not make some of you happy, but for whatever reason, I just felt like they said, hey, you know, can we pray about situation X that's going on? I'm like, good, we'll pray about that, but I, I'm going to pray for you to get married. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just just and, and some of them were actually, actually all three of them were really upset. <laughs> they were very mad, uh, angry at me and whatever, frustrated. But um, I felt so compelled that I wouldn't back down. And I said, okay, just bear with me. I know you hate it. You can like pray with your eyes open and disagree, but I'm going to still, <laughs> I'm going to still do it. And uh, I, I can't explain this. I can't explain this. I'm just saying this. It's been, it's a really big deal. And so, you know, I, I shared just like two years ago uh, this story about it. So today, all three of those people are married. I think they're all pretty happily married too, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's really great. So I told this story a couple years ago, and there was a guy that was here. I've known him for years. He shot me an email afterwards. My couch is green. I've talked about that. He said, I want to come sit on your magic matching couch. And uh, you know what? Uh, I'm thrilled that next month I'm going to be officiating his wedding. And I, I just need you to know, I know relationships are tough. I know marriage is tough. Uh, and I know relationships are tough. And there's a lot of stuff that's in there. And I don't, I, I'm hoping and praying you haven't heard anything that I've said today uh, without me understanding that I know there's wounds and there's hurts and pains. But I do know this. It seems to me that God put a desire in our hearts to be married, and the data reveals that too. And I'm just praying for your best. That is the only thing I want. That is the only thing I want, for your marriages to be great, and for those of you who are on the journey to marriage, for that journey to go really, really well. We pray every week on this prayer wall, and you just need to know that God is actually answering prayer every week. This Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. National Day of Prayer, and our office in Boston on Vermont Street on Thursday from 6 to 8.30. The prayer team's going to be there. We're just going to have an open time of prayer. I'm going to be there. 
And if anybody wants to come and pray about anything, including relationship stuff, we just want you to know that, we're, that we are there to do so, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for everybody in this room. I want to thank you for your goodness. I know that many of us have had, you know, some pretty rocky stuff when it comes to relationships. Lord, I pray for your healing. I get healing balm, that salve that helps us with our wounds. Help us, Lord. For those of us who are discouraged, give us encouragement and give us hope. For those of us who maybe we need to put in some new habits, help us to understand what those habits are that are much more, well, they're just wiser, God. And God, I ask that you would bring together the people that you want to bring together and you would help us as you're bringing us together to prepare ourselves for the greatest investment in life. And I ask this in Christ's name. Thank you, Lord. Everybody said amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.